1: what it was like shaping boards for Andy Irons.
2: And I see him walking on the beach for his heat with a 7.6 and, and he never even wrote this thing. Mm-hmm. He never even just waxed it up. Ah, it's, it'll go. <laughs> he pals out, caught a giant, giant wave on, on the second reef. Rode a thing all the way, just these big turns, you know, on the outside and then when it dropped into this inside a reef he just just set it up and just got pff, all the way through almost down the gums.
1: And what it was like inventing the nose guard and how it felt receiving that first order. He told us he wanted to place I
2: for twenty thousand and I go 20? you want twenty thousand dollars worth and he said no he wants it wants twenty thousand units. And that 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 um Competed
1: to a $100,000 sale. Boom. Oh, so that was, that was just one order. That's Eric Arakawa, right now, on an all-new Surf Splendor. Hey there, podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in. I'm really glad that you found us. A quick order of business before we get into the show, I just wanted to say... Thank you for listening. I'm thrilled that you found us. I hope that you uh, enjoyed episode one with Chris Cote. If you haven't yet listened to that, definitely go back and and find it. It's both on our website, which is surfsplendorpodcast.com, and you can also find it on iTunes. And I would suggest it's easiest to go through iTunes. Just click the subscribe button, and all future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your computer. Also, importantly, our show is completely free, but the best way to support us is just by sharing it with a friend. It'd be easiest to do it on social media. That way we can track the show's growth and track people's feedback. We encourage you to leave comments on iTunes and review the show there. That will help grow the audience. And also give us feedback on the show. Let us know ideas that you would like to see implemented, some show ideas. So, Anyways, go to surfsplendorpodcast.com, and then also follow us on social media, at Surf Splendor. Thanks, enjoy the show. This episode of Surf Splendor is brought to you by U.S. Blanks. U.S. Blanks is the world's leading supplier of surfboard blanks. With the widest variety of blank sizes, rocker selections, stringer options, available in polyurethane and EPS... Your surfboard blank is completely customizable. This episode is with Eric Arakawa. Eric not only uses U.S. Blanks to shape his surfboards, he's actually part of the design team at U.S. Blanks, along with Rusty Prizendorfer, Tom Parrish, and others. Eric's responsible for one of U.S. Blanks' most popular blanks, the 64EA. Visit usblanks.com to learn more about the only surfboard blank made entirely in the USA. Welcome back to Surf Splendor. Surf Splendor is very simply just conversations about surfing. So a lot of the episodes will feature surfers, but this episode kicks off our Shaper series. So it's actually with surfboard shaper, Eric Arakawa. This interview was actually recorded in March, 2013. And I spent a couple of days with Eric at his workspace on the North shore of Oahu which is not far from his childhood home and really where he spent his entire career. What interested me most about Eric uh, that I had not known previously, this was actually my first meeting with him, and I, I just knew of him as a surfboard shaper, but what interested me most was just his innate savvy as a business person and his ability to manage business and his lifestyle as a shaper. It's really... You know, striking a balance between master craftsman and successful business manager is a trait that we don't often see in the surf business, but Eric has been able to flourish in both realms. So we discussed that in this interview. We discussed not only his shaping ability, but you know he invented the nose guard and he's had a lot of um a lot of different businesses that he's been involved in and successfully as well. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic, and he's. Equally skilled at both. So that, I feel, made for a really interesting interview. And um, and I hope that you guys enjoy it. But my first exposure to Eric Arakawa that I recall was in 1998. It was when Andy Irons won both the OP Pro and the US Open in Huntington Beach in two consecutive weeks. They ran the contest back-to-back, basically, and Andy took them both. I remember standing in the water up to my knees, and Andy was doing these huge backside floaters on head-high closeouts on, on south side of the pier. And um, I know more recently, Freddie P., Freddie Patachia, has been riding Eric's boards, and he's been absolutely ripping. He looked the best I've ever seen down at that El Salvador contest a week or two ago. So um, shaping boards for pros is really just one facet of Eric's career. He's played an instrumental role in board design and in the community, basically, on the north shore of Oahu. For the past three decades so we'll begin the interview at the beginning discussing eric's early life oh and one more thing the audio for this episode was unwisely recorded in eric's shaping room so i apologize for the echo and the low quality eric was miked i was not but um you know we'll work out the bugs and the show will improve in the future so thanks Eric telling me a story about the first board he ever shaped. He and his father were walking behind an apartment building when Eric noticed something sticking out of a dumpster. It was the bottom half of a broken North Shore gun. The year was 1967.
2: We probably got about three feet of it. Okay. So not much. And um, it was during the school semester and I remember us having to go, go to school and we couldn't really put a whole lot of time into the project. I remember one day we came back home and it was shaped. Oh,
1: really? My
2: dad had shaped it. Wow. He cut the thing down and and um, shaped this little board. And it was just like this it was a round nose and it, and he kind of preserved the old outline of the pintail with the box and he left the box in. It. Huh. And uh, it was cool, you know. I mean, it was. I never. I probably. I think that was probably the first time I've actually seen. Actual surfboard foam polyurethane foam and um, um, I don't know what happened. There's like a blank from the shape to the lamination, but all I remember is I have two other brothers That surf too. I'm the oldest and I remember one evening Three of us are huddled around this board. It's glassed, red red pigment the whole thing is just um, it's almost there, and, and there's six hands on it with sandpaper, and we're sanding this little tiny thing. All right. This little tiny board. I mean, we could you know barely have enough room for our shoulders to fit, you know, around this thing, and, yeah. and we're all just trying to get in edge wise to kind of get our that's funny, you know, our work in, you know, and uh, our hands on it. But uh, it was fun. I remember. It, I just remember distinctly the smell of the resin that was being sanded. Really? Yeah. We were wet sanding. It was. It was. It was fun. And um,
1: so did all you guys ride that little thing? We all did.
2: I mean, you couldn't. It was so small. We couldn't stand up on it. Yeah. Um, did you put a fin in it? We did put a fin. My dad actually. There was a fin that was in it. it was it was big, long, black box fin in. He cut it down and reshaped it. Oh, wow. Refolded it and um, took it out to Waikiki. Yeah. Off the wall and caught some waves. It pushed a lot of water. It wasn't a real good yeah. board, but um, it, was, it was fun. Um,
1: That's awesome.
2: Yeah, it was rock solid. It was, a, to this day, probably the, most, the strongest sport I've ever. What year do you, you know. think that was? Maybe, maybe 1967. That's amazing. 60, Yeah, 67, 68. But yeah, it was, it was, those are fun days. We used to spend all day at the beach. Right. All day. Most of the day was in the water.
1: <laughs> when you were a kid, you could make oh, anything. Oh, we just did. No, you know? we
2: did it. We were in the water. We were catching waves. We were doing all kinds of stuff. We used to take out air mattresses. Yeah. We'd catch waves on the air mattresses. We'd catch on, on anything. That's so Those funny. wooden boards. We used to get, um, my friends had some, some bright idea of just getting McDonald's. Oh yeah, those trays. Those trays from McDonald's, yeah.
1: and we just them all of those things. It's like a hand Yeah, here. yeah, yeah, so. That's awesome. The spark was lit. Eric wanted a new surfboard. He did extra chores to earn money. He sold little molded concrete flower pots for 25 cents apiece. But with the price of a new surfboard being over $100, he did the math and couldn't imagine ever selling the 400 flower pots it required to buy his new board. Then, an opportunity presented itself.
2: Again, I didn't know where to get a blank, but my brother had a 6'6 uh, twin fin shaped by Craig Sugihara, the founder of Tana Country. It must have been about four inches thick, maybe three and a half, at least three and a half inches thick. It was really thick. And I decided one day it was, that was thick enough mm-hmm. To strip and to reshape and get another board up. And I, I don't remember if I asked my brother for permission, but I was the oldest, so it didn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> but so uh, I stripped it, and that super thick board came down to about probably, I wanna say two and a half. Yeah. Back then that was really thin, and it was a 5'8. Okay. And uh, it was a 5'8 wing round pintail. And I remember I thought, man, when I was done, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. That shape was beautiful. I had friends that came by. I had a a couple friends that came by. I go, wow, you shaped that? And obviously they didn't know what they were looking at either, you know? Yeah. And, um, I thought, wow, hey, maybe I have some talent here. Some hidden talent. I glassed it up and, uh, wrote it. I remember paddling out the Pupakea. That was the first time I tried it. And, um. Was the worst board I've ever ridden really? to this day, probably. Yeah, I would have to say, I, I think I, I could say I'm pretty confidently that um, that is probably the worst board I've ever ridden. Oh my gosh. Ever.
1: Did that minimize the. I
2: was way ahead of my time because it was a 5.8 and the board had probably about five and a half inches of nose rocker in it. Oh my gosh. When most boards only had just barely over three inches at the time. Yeah. Well, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't paddle. It just, the proportions were all wrong.
1: Sure. Did the um, experience of it not working, you know, in the surf negate the enjoyment of producing? No, it it
2: didn't, it didn't discourage me. I just, uh, you know, I don't know. Learn from that. Learn from that and just, uh, one of my friends asked me to build one for him. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that was straight off of, of, of a blank, which I've never done before. Okay. You know? Did that go better? It, it went better. I had someone else glasses who actually had more experience and, and, and the board looked really nice. So Cool. Yeah. It actually looked like a like a surfboard. Got it. I don't know how I, I couldn't tell you how it rode, but Sure. Yeah. And so that was that was so that was encouraging and it led me to do the, the next board for another friend and, and um, pretty soon I had friends of friends ordering boards and um, just we're, one day it just dawned on me, I, you know, and I thought, maybe I'm in business.
1: Eric was 16 at the time. He was shaping and glassing in his parents' garage. While they were supportive of his new hobby, they had also begun receiving complaints from his neighbors about errant foam dust and resin fumes wafting through their yards. Eric decided that maybe it was time to find a new workspace.
2: There were these farms down uh, below um, our community. You know, we used to live up in, up in Pearl City. A friend's, my friend's family had this little it shed. It was actually more like a, it was more like a little house. It didn't have a kitchen or anything or any plumbing, but it was a good-sized building, and it was, it was vacant. And he said, "Hey, maybe my mom will let you use it." and so i checked it out and it was like perfect really it was perfect um, you just have to move a wall over it was just it was just it was room enough for just a nice big shaping room and a little place to store some blanks. and so i was in there for um, probably about 3 years maybe 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 2 but and i had to pay rent It's the first time so i really knew that hey i'm, I'm in business i'm have to pay 5 bucks a month for rent <laughs> Five bucks, and then one day, probably about a year later, my friend's mom, my landlord, had to come and break the news to me so that she's gonna have to up, up the rent to 20 bucks.
1: Ooh, that's a big jump.
2: 400%. Yeah. That's... But you know what? <laughs> 20 bucks. <laughs> it was Was that still a good deal at it, the time? Or? Yeah, it was, because they were paying the electricity. Oh, okay,
1: there you go. <laughs> That's so, why
2: she needed to raise it. So, yeah, I had an air conditioner in there and everything and that's probably what, you know, so. No, uh, that's
1: uh, it was really gracious. They're really good. Eric's shaping career took off after high school. Ed Angulo was working with Hawaiian Island Creations. He befriended Eric and asked him to help shape a few boards under the HIC label. Ed also allowed Eric to copy his templates, which really is unheard of. Eric recalls bringing his own Masonite and tracing all of Ed's templates. He still has those templates today and credits this one act of generosity from Ed as the first real boost in his career. This also is the beginning of what would later become a partnership with HIC, but Eric took some time off to explore business ownership, working under his own label. He dreamed about expanding the Island Classics brand beyond just surfboards, and that pursuit took him to Europe.
2: For a number of years, I had I was doing I classics, okay. and that's when I had Michael and Derek writing for me, and yeah. Ronnie Burns and Gary Clisby. I had a, had, a, had a really good local team here. What um, in 1980? There are a bunch of um, surf surfboard brands coming up, sure. developing. You know, um, Gotcha was pretty new. Sean Thompson just, just launched his Instinct brand. There was a whole bunch of other smaller brands all over the place. It seemed like every month there was a new you know board short line. But anyway, uh, um, I came up with this name, Island Classics, and it was intended to be a board short company. I uh, worked with a uh, fashion designer here, and she developed some, some designs. And I got a um, partner in California. And um, he was going to be the money guy. But anyway, when... It, to make a long story short, in the end, um, I decided... I don't even actually even go here, but... <laughs> I realized that I could not enter this partnership. Okay, sure. And I just called the whole thing off.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, decided to regroup, regroup. At that time, I actually, um, shortly after that, I flew to Europe um, and started building boards there. I needed to kind of, I needed to kind of get away, uh, kind of get a change of scenery and kind of refocus and, and see what I was, I'm going to do, you know, with, with my life. So this whole time I thought that I was going to get into the, the garden business, and, yeah. you know, building board shorts. And um, I started working for this company and then, um, this, this little surf shop over there, had a great time, great surf, it was a great year, it was the year I met Morris Cole and uh, uh, Kern, Rabbit, hmm. Bruce Raymond, a uh, bunch of the Quicksilver crew, they were all there, a bunch of the founders. Um, and anyway, uh, I, uh, one thing like another, and I started actually building boards for Hang 10 Europe. Oh, okay. And, this guy uh, flew us to Paris. We went to these shows with him, and he decided he was going to put some money and build a surfboard factory down in Halsiger, and uh, want us to build boards there. And uh, he hired this 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 uh, French guy to manage production, and uh, I was one of the guys who was going to be shaping boards. That lasted for a few months, and it just went kaput. Really? Yeah, it just. And I could see clearly from from my perspective is this guy, he didn't know the business. Yeah. He didn't know who to put there to run it. He didn't really know what he wanted. So, um, and this one day just sitting um, alone there, I realized, you know, this guy, he has a lot of money and wants to get the surfboard business, but he, he, he doesn't do it because he doesn't know it. Yeah. And I, and I thought, well... I'm a surfboard guy trying to get into the garment business. I don't have any money, and I don't know the business. Then what are the chances of my success in light of this current situation? I decided, well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go and take Island Classics. I'm going to go back to Hawaii, and I'm going to start a surfboard brand. I'm going to start a surfboard brand with that. And so that's what I did. Shortly after that, I got reconnected with Michael Hole and uh, started building boards for him. He was, my, he was one of the first team riders. I had uh, Maxim Darros, Michael Hole, and Derek came shortly after that, Ronnie Burns, and that was it. So we had a, a really fun run for about 10 years, wow. about 10 years building,
1: building that. After a decade of successful surfboard shaping under the Island Classics label, Eric's entrepreneurial sense kicked in when he saw a need present itself in the midst of a tragedy.
2: There was this big scare in the industry because Al Merrick got sued. Because a, a girl lost her eye. Oh, no. Yeah. And she got hit in. Hit it was actually from what I know, um, Al was surfing and um, did a cutback and. The noseless board hit a girl and um, she lost her eye. So there was this, um, Rob Burns, the founder of Locomotion, was on this big campaign to make surfboards safer. And the first item on the agenda was to make noses blunt. And so he was trying to get everyone just to round their noses, and it was it made them look. I thought it made them look ugly. It we sure. was hard to shape and everything. They were hard to glass. And I thought, well, it's still hard. I mean, you can still get hit. Yeah. With uh, hard enough with a blunt object and get hurt. So I thought, hey, the only solution is maybe to rubberize it or to to pat it. And so, I mean, and that's where the nose guard came from. So we did a few prototypes, made a few crude um, molds, and casted our first you know, no scars, and tried them, and they worked, and, you know, one thing led to another, and we got a um, tool maker, mold maker in California, and we were off and started this business, and We we didn't even know, we were, I mean, at the time, we didn't really know what the market was going to be like, and how it would, you know, accept a product like this, but uh, we did. we just, we just, Stepped out in faith. You know, I had this this friend of mine um, who surfed and just sold this business. And he was looking for something else to do. And oh, okay. we came together, Davis Skodalski, and we put together this business called Surfco. So, anyway, we, we go to this, uh, we go to the trade show. We had uh, our first production run. I forgot what it was. I think we had something like maybe 5,000. We had a minimum wow. run about 5,000 to do. And... Um, we had 5,000 5, made and went to this trade show. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how to set up a booth. It was an ASR, Action Sports Retailer, Yeah. back then. And um, we had a little 10 by 10 booth. And um, we're there just, uh, we got our displays and everything. And, and um, we're hoping to get, maybe to break even. Maybe to get, uh, we would have been happy if we had $10,000 in sales. Maybe even 5,000, you know. And um, I'm not sure what day it was. It wasn't the first day. it might have been the second or the third day. Uh, this guy comes up to us this um, uh, this Japanese businessman who has a, had a surf distribution over in Japan, and he saw a nose guard. and um, he said, "Yeah, I'd like to place an order." He looked at it he goes, "Yeah, I can sell this. I'd like to place an order and uh he told us he wanted a place in order for twenty thousand, and I go twenty. You want twenty thousand dollars worth, and he said no. He wants twenty thousand units, and that 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 um, competed to a hundred thousand dollars sale. Oh my god! So that was that was just one order.
1: Holy cow! <laughs> and were you comfortable fulfilling it? Yeah, was we we,
2: we 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 were able to. Yeah, it wasn't a problem. Okay. But we were shocked. Yeah, (laughs) we were
1: shocked. It's a good problem to have, though. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there is no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs
0: Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah,
2: the business. Fast forwarding this whole thing, that was another great ride. It was you know, we we're doing that. It was it was fun. It was I learned a lot um during that stint, during that partnership. I learned a lot about um sales and marketing, and distribution worldwide, uh dealing with reps and, and all that. Uh um, product development. Mm-hmm. So we develop other products, um, you know, along the way. But um, fast forwarding again, I got to another place where I realized that I just need to get back to my passion mm-hmm. and to what I really know, and, and that was building boards. So I uh, left that partnership and um, just started building boards again, full-time.
1: Eric's business life had gotten increasingly chaotic. His career as a board builder was gaining momentum. He was trying to balance his time between running his multiple businesses, but still spending time in the shaping room. At home, he had a wife and young children. With a lot of opportunities, but also a lot of responsibility, Eric received a call from an old employer, Hawaiian Island Creations. They offered him a job as a shaper under their label, HIC. Eric had enough business on his own, and his Island Creations label was thriving. With his plate already full, he viewed HIC as just another responsibility. So he politely declined their offer. And then they called again.
2: And then shortly after that again, uh, I got called on again and um, he said, hey, they're not just talking, they said they really want to know if you would, if there's a way they, we could work something out where shape, I'd shape for them. And I said, ah, just tell, tell them make, a, make an offer I can't refuse. And I just left. I just totally f- yeah. I forgot about it. And then one day they say, hey, they have an offer. About, about a week later, I get a call, and um, this person says, hey, they have an offer. I, uh, who, they? Who's they? I said, HIC, they have an offer. They want to make you an offer. And, um, so. Cool.
1: Yeah. But anyway.
2: That was
1: it. What was your apprehension to work with them? I mean, why not work with them? You were just busy enough as it is and burned out on I'll the do my own.
2: I'll, no, yeah, I'll do my own thing. No, it's just, um. I got my own business. Now, again, I'm not just wearing many hats, but I'm wearing all the hats in the business. Right. So now I'm not just the, um. I'm not just the the guy in charge of marketing, product development, and all that, and board production. Uh, I'm the general manager, you know, and everything else.
1: Accounting, sales. And the janitor. Yeah, exactly. It was
2: just, I was working long, long hours. And when HIC said they made, made an offer, they wanted to bring my wife in. So when my wife heard the offer, she said, take it. Because she just wanted our lives to be a little simpler. She wanted. She wanted. She be be want, we ahead. had young kids at the yeah. time. She wanted more family time. Yeah. And you know, and looking back, I have no regrets. Good. Okay. You know, there's I. My kids are pretty much grown out right now. I mean, I can start. I can start another 50 business if I want to, but I only got one shot at raising a family. Sure. So.
1: When we come back, we'll hear what it was like working with Andy Irons and other key relationships that Eric values most when our program continues. Next time on an all new episode of Surf Splendor, Aaron Chang shares the story of the first photo he ever printed. I printed a picture of the Coronado ferry
0: Okay. And I'll never
1: forget. You know, when you the first time you see something materialize by dipping a piece of paper in a chemical, it's just an, an amazing process and one that I'll I'll never forget that first moment. And Morgan Mason recounts the early days developing relationships with Kelly Slater, Dane Reynolds, Bobby Martinez, and Tom Curran.
0: I went down to Rincon actually to serve and it was quite good. And, paddled out for a couple waves and sure enough Kelly paddles out after like my fourth wave and so I ran and grabbed my camera and just that afternoon he was testing a certain board in the course of an hour and a half. It
1: surfed so well and so tight that I put up an edit. It did really well. It got like yeah. one, 1. 1.3 million hits or something. That's right we're discussing surf photography next time on Surf Splendor. Welcome back to Surf Splendor. The vast majority of shapers rely on a local community of surfers and word of mouth to grow their businesses. Very few have the opportunity to shape boards for world-class surfers. Being located on the North Shore of Oahu, Eric Arakawa has developed relationships with and supplied boards to a lot of Hawaii's best surfers for the past three decades. I was curious to hear about how those relationships have influenced Eric's career. Some
2: some are some are more beneficial than others. Some are invaluable. Some are more of a liability. And so um, it really it, it it comes down to the athlete. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier that I had Michael Holt writing for me. Right. Um, he he without a doubt has. Um, shaped and honed my skills and um, you know and, and and helped me develop designs more than any other server really. ever till this day. Um, he was probably the most difficult person to, to build a board for. And other people that had worked with him I've heard about, I've, I've talked to other shapers and, and, and they, they say the same thing, and it's not, it's not a negative thing, but he is really, really picky, really demanding. And I tell you you have to be you have to be on your game, you have to be spot on and uh, there have been a lot of times where where I built board for him and he said, hey, this board's good, but I can't win on it and so he was always looking for that magic board. I mean I mean all servers are saying they're looking for that, but this guy he was just he was relentless and so um, at times it was very frustrating but it was very very challenging and, and if it wasn't for that relationship early on in my career, I, I think I'd be years behind. Really? Right oh yeah, years behind. Wow. And so even work, working with him helped me work with, with the writers that, that came afterwards. Yeah. You know, guys like Andy. Guys like, uh, uh, you know, some of the other tours, but the, the current guys I have right now, Joe Santeo and, you know, Reef, Don both Freddy Pataccia, and some of the other touring pros. That relationship, I based everything off that relationship. With Michael? That's my foundation. Crazy. Yeah. No, that was incredible. So, you have the right guy, it's, it's invaluable. Are you still shaving boards
1: for him periodically?
2: Uh, no, I haven't done for a while. You know, the most recent one was for uh Mason Mason Hall, he came a few years ago and said he needed to get some board for sunset for Mason and uh, it was cool because we were collaborating again yeah over design yeah and but it wasn't for him it was for his right. son Yeah. one day uh years ago this is like when I was still building board for him and we uh uh we you know we we had both just gotten married um not just gotten married, I think we had, we had kids. We've, we had kids about the same time, our first one. You know, I had a daughter, he had a, his son Mason, uh, and our wives gave birth around the same time. And uh, one day, um, I'm at his house and he comes out and says, hey, it'd be cool, wouldn't it be cool, um, man, when, you know, our kids grow up and your kids are shaping for my kids? And I look and I'm going, you know, Mike, no way, next time the table is going to be turned, your kids are going to be shooting for my kids, man. <laughs> your, your kids are going to get the abuse.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was just in the right spot at the right time, and that's usually what it takes. I mean, I fought back, and then that last wave in the end, that 10 I got, Kelly almost got it, and if he would have caught that, he would have, you know, he would have got me.
1: Andy Irons is arguably the best surfer to have ever ridden Eric's boards. Not only did Andy ride Eric's boards, but he rode them for 10 years. Eric and Andy had a decade-long relationship and Andy won three world titles on his boards. In what was widely regarded as one of surfing's greatest rivalries, Andy Irons challenged 11-time world champion Kelly Slater, whom temporarily retired after his loss to Andy. Andy was known for his raw and spontaneous power. He surfed death-defying waves with the reckless abandon that most people express in two-foot beach breaks. He was a hero to many, and even Kelly Slater recognizes Andy as one of his greatest inspirations.
0: People don't get pushed by by nothing. You know, competitively
1: in sports and stuff, you get to see what people are made of when they really get push their back to the wall
2: and I know that Andy has made me a better, more focused, stronger competitor and
1: and surfer. You know, whether I have been in situations I wanted to admit it or not. Unfortunately, on November 2nd, 2010, Andy was found dead in a Dallas hotel room. The official cause of death was cardiac arrest due to a severe blockage from a main artery of his heart. Drugs were found in his system. He was 32 years old and survived by his wife Lindy, who was seven months pregnant with their first son, Axel. I was interested to hear about how Eric met Andy, their relationship over the years, and how it influenced Eric's career. He was young. I mean I remember He was the, young. He was really when he young. He was like a teenager. He was in a teenager H I C Pipe Pro, he was writing your boards, I feel Yeah, that. yeah, he was a teenager. He was uh seventeen? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, what was it like working with them through the years? It was. Um... I mean, well, let me preface by saying, I feel like there's guys who have boards from shapers. Maybe it's a business relationship, but there's other ones that seem more organic. Like Kelly and Al have been working together yeah. forever. John and Piza, John, John and pies yeah, are yeah. working together out of a really organic thing. It seemed like Andy was really... You guys worked together for a long time. Yeah. um, Going through a lot of boards and a lot of different kind of uh, times in his career, you know, when he was up and down or whatever. So that seems like a more organic relationship and a real relationship Mm -hmm. as opposed to some that just are business relationships, you know. So what was that like working in that?
2: It was good. You know what? I mean, when I compare him, like I said, I always use michael as my my standard on how a surface shape shape relationship should be and and how astute a shaper needs to be with his equipment Mm -hmm. um and now when we go we look at andy's generation that was not it's not the same generation whole other elements came into play, this whole corporate element. Um, there was a lot more money on tour, um, a lot more events. Everything was just rapid fire. There was hardly any time or off-season to sit down and to develop equipment, to go through a methodical process. And that's what I was used to to doing with, with Michael. Um, and so, we ended up just building a lot of boards just a lot of boards and having boards ready and just you know having them having them ready for him to try and so and it's it's pretty common now where these pros they just go through so many yeah. boards i mean you go through 100 boards a year it's crazy easily you know 100 boards a year yeah and um but um, so uh no it was it was great developing that relationship with um with Andy, but um, as far as developing um, designs and all that, it was it was totally different. It was a different world. Yeah. Like I said, the whole cor- corporate element was involved, a lot more money on tour, and um, yeah, it, it, it barely, I, I can't even remember really having a breather during that time. Really?
1: Yeah. Um, did that. I mean that obviously is a different environment, but do you feel like that also helped develop your craft in a different way than it, than Michael, let's say, helped develop it? Because it's a different environment, but it's also a different level of surfing. I mean, Andy was doing things that nobody we had never seen before. You know. Oh,
2: he did stuff.
1: And um, different waves too, yeah. like in Tahiti and stuff. Where yeah, yeah. those are different board designs. Yeah. So,
2: I mean, that year he he won um, he won the U.S. Open. Yeah. He well, won two events at Huntington. Right. On this 6 2 round pin I did for him, thruster. I was there. Yeah, you were there. You saw <laughs> yeah. that. And uh, you know what? It was a brand new board. He never, he didn't even ride it. Really? Michael would never do that. Never even, he would never slip a board in his bag before he got in a plane unless he knew the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he just threw the board in the bag and I, I'm, I'm sure he, he must have had a couple of practice serves out there, but he, he did it and he won two events back to back and I just go, what are you doing? <laughs> it worked out, you know, but, yeah. um,
1: just and, a lot of confidence in his equipment.
2: I mean, yeah. And then a couple of years ago, uh, I'm not a couple, a couple of years later, we had Pike masters. He was there trying to requalify and, um, I remember it was huge, it was breaking the second reef and he and I see him walking on the beach for his heat with a seven six and i go he, and he never even wrote this thing mm-hmm. he never he just waxed it up ah it's it'll go <laughs> He paddles out and uh he had a man on man heat with uh Luke Egan. and and he just he just waxed them. Really? Yeah. Scored a ten. Caught a giant, giant wave on on the second reef. Rolled a thing all the way. And just these big turns, you know, on the outside, and then when it dropped into this the inside of reef, he just just set it up and just got psh, really funneled all the way through, almost down to gums, and then kicked out. And then came in. I remember I remember um, Luke standing on the beach because he was ahead, and and Andy just, Luke was picking up all the clean ones on the inside, and Andy just, about 10 minutes before the end of the heat, he just paddled way, way outside. There's just nobody there. Just paddled way out. Burned a lot of time and just sat there, sat there, waited for this one. Luke had already come in um, and was ahead, was leading the heat, and then Andy catches his, his bomb and just does his thing, and that was it. Crazy. Yeah. Got the 10. And yeah. he got the 10. So and yeah. awesome. That was it. And I think he qualified, re-qualified on that.
1: Amazing. Yeah.
2: But anyway, so it's different. It's, it's you know, I scratching my head and he came in I go, you yeah. know, handy it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: but I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't recommend that again. Right. <laughs> Working with top athletes requires Eric to maintain tremendous precision and consistency with his craft. Every shaper has had surfers ask them to recreate that magic board. With subtle but significant variation in wood stringers, foam pours, and glassing, I wondered if it's even possible to recreate any board. That question is one that Eric, too, had pondered. The thought prompted a memory for Eric. He told me about a valuable lesson he learned while in France. He was visiting the factory of a company that makes a variety of sports equipment.
2: Uh, one of the other relationships that I really valued was this relationship with Solomon for a while. And it was only, it was only about six years. And, um, you know, obviously, I mean, Solomon there in winter sports. But they tried to make a go at it w- you know, with, with surfboards. They invited me to come over to their, their factory, their R&D, their facility, their headquarters in France uh, for a tour to talk with them. Um, so I wasn't, I wasn't decided. I wasn't sure if I want to get involved with them. I wasn't sure like, are there going to be like a BIC, mm-hmm. you know, or some other, or some other company from overseas that wants to make some quick money. And so anyway, I wasn't sure. So they said, Hey, just fly over, we'll fly you over. You can check out the operation, check out. I mean, it's the operation was, it's a huge place. It's a, it's a campus. Their, their, their headquarters and, and their R&D facility. They have factories all over the place, but they have this one, one campus, there. they have their corporate headquarters with their R&D centers. It's huge, it's about three, the R&D manufacturing has about three football fields. And um, I remember my first few days there and um, they gave me their lead engineer to give me a tour of their whole testing facility. Huge. I mean, the stuff they used to do, this control test, he spent thousands of dollars a day just breaking stuff. Just to test their stuff, and to, to test the uh, viability of their, their their designs and durability and and, and everything else. And um, so I said, now, when you're working with, with athletes, because he was showing me shoes that they developed for, for um, their Olympic athletes, because they own Adidas too. The uh, golf shafts they do for tailor-made, and everything skis and you know all the other obvious stuff but so i asked him hey so you're you're dealing with all these athletes i said you know on our end i have surfers that will ask me to 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 copy a surfboard they say this board's magic and i will copy this board as best i can i mean from all um from from the naked eye it looks like the same board we try to control everything even the glassing the lamination all that and they'll take this board out, this this copy, and they'll say, it it doesn't work. It's not like the other one.
1: Yeah.
2: And I and I so I asked him, so is this real? Are they really feeling something that's real or is it just in their head? And it was kind of a trick question for him. I really don't want to know where he was at. And he said, he said, these elite athletes at their level what they feel is real, and it's not imagined. He says, at their level, they can, they can um, distinctly um, pick out a small modulus change, you know? And, and after he said that, I go, okay, you know what? Then maybe I can work with this company. I kind of started. I I started to kind of open up a little bit more, and I go, okay. And I started asking him a few other questions. He was the one that worked with Ernie Els and developed the bubble shaft. And he says they went out the driving range one day. He was out there in France, and he had ten different shafts, these clubs, and they were all just just a slight change, slight percentage change. And he said Ernie would just swing twelve drivers and at the end he'd pick out one he goes this is the best one and they had these uh, these uh, uh, these Olympic runners and they'd have these shoes with the soles would have different um, uh, different types of composites and he'd different uh, fiber orientations and all that and he'd they'd have some with with a certain amount of uh, carbon in them they'd have other stuff certain types of high-performance rubbers and So they would give them like just pairs and pairs of different shoes and different soles and they would test them on the track. And he'd say like after like say 10 dozen pairs, this guy would just pick out one pair of shoes and he goes, this is the one. Hmm. And he said from the next one to the other one, he says, well, this one's not, not, not that good. He said, there's such a minute difference. And he says, no, this stuff is real. And he goes, that's my job. He goes, that's my job here at Solomon to figure out what that is and to 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 uh, zero in on that and to enhance that in all of our products, whether it be shoes or skis or boots or yeah, clothing fabrics. Right. He goes, that's my job. And after he said that, he goes, okay. So I'll work with you
1: guys. Eric began that story by defining it as an important relationship that he's always valued. The theme came up again when I asked him about his favorite part of the surf business. And then again, when I asked him where he sees his business evolving next.
2: The really, the the best things in this business are the relationships. And the one of the things I really I I love is working with other people that take their business seriously, the craft, and have a passion for what they do and for their product. And you know, I know it sounds cliche, but no, I mean that's just honest truth. Like, I, I'm not exactly sure where I see myself going. I I, I think um, I think I have a lot a lot more years left. And that's one of the advantages of being a shaper and not a pro surfer. Yeah. <laughs> Longevity of career. So, um, but I think I have a lot more years and it's not just really to, not so much to design but I feel like um, for me, I would love to invest in relationships in other people. You know, the, the, coming with the with the team I have working for me, I have a great, great team people here and that that allows me to, to do what I like to do. You know, if it wasn't for them having a good crew I wouldn't be I wouldn't have the time uh, for me the whole every aspect of the business is, is I'm finding it to be fun mm. you know and, and enjoyable maybe not every aspect but you know for the most part mm-hmm. and so he um, asked me the question well where do I see myself going I think I want to spend more time investing in people yeah. and That's a good answer. You know what? Um, Love people, use money. Not love money, use people. And that's really what it comes down to. us at the end. That's good. The wealth is in the relationships. Yeah. Really, that's what it comes down
1: to. The wealth is in the relationships. Eric Erikawa, ladies and gentlemen. I have some closing thoughts after listening to that interview again. Um, This process of interviewing people for the show has been really enjoyable for me I've been able to meet some people that I've always admired and What I loved about Eric was that he really cultivated his natural talent With good old-fashioned hard work in this modern social media age We we see people rise to fame so quickly maybe projected by talent, but not really earning it. You know Um, I admire Eric's work ethic and I think that his business and his board designs really reflect his TLC and his passion. I also really enjoyed that recurring theme in Eric's life of the business world constantly pulling him in and then him constantly being drawn back into the shaping bay. I think it's great that he always finds his way back back to kind of his passion and what got him started in the business. I think it's also great that U.S. Blanks made this episode possible. Uh, it's great that they've kept Eric supplied with foam for all these years. U.S. Blanks, completely customizable surfboard blanks, supplying the world's finest shapers and made entirely in the USA. Learn more at usblanks.com. Make sure to follow Surf Splendor on social media at Surf Splendor. Send us feedback, show ideas, Maybe post a photo of your Eric Eric Howa surfboard. Go to surfsplendorpodcast.com to see show extras like video clips from this interview, surf footage of Andy Irons riding Eric's boards, and much, much more. Subscribe on iTunes and make sure to rate the show and leave feedback for others to see. Well, thanks for tuning in to the second ever episode of Surf Splendor. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back in two weeks with an all-new episode featuring surf photographers Aaron Chang and Morgan Mason. In the meantime, share this episode with a friend. Thanks for listening.